Okay, welcome in to episode six and a half. We'll call it episode seven of the Breathing Orange Fire podcast. It is I, Andrew. I am joined as always by Gabe. Gabe, what's happening? Not much, man. Hey, a little bit of housekeeping off the top here. Um, we're going to release this on Tuesdays. I, on Tuesday, I said this was going to be our new schedule. I am actually out of the country on a cruise. And uh, I was going to try to set something up, but I couldn't do it. Uh, I couldn't guarantee cell phone reception, so I didn't want to leave You know, our legion of tens and tens of mm-hmm. loyal fans here uh, mm-hmm. hanging without an episode. Right. But this is not our traditional episode. If you're like tuning in and this is your first episode, it's not usually like this. We don't usually just talk, um, you know, purely stats. Usually we're more <clears throat> big picture story driven from the Astros, but we do talk about a lot of stats to try to tell that story. So what we decided is that we're going to do an episode of just stats and launch it now so that you can kind of understand what we're, what we're talking about. Uh, our normal podcast, I'd like to think of it as you're reading a book. This is like you're reading the appendix. So with right. no further ado, I guess here, here we are. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good setup, Gabe. Uh, where are you going again? I, I know I you told no me, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Yeah, some, somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico. We're, okay. we're on a cruise with the uh, kids last day of school. I've got three of them. I got a 12 year old, a 10 year old, and an eight year old. And my wife thought, oh, wouldn't this be a swell thing if we went on a cruise with all of them? So five of us trapped in a space smaller than my RV um wow. on the water that we can't get out of there so uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good times coming up good are times. you claustrophobic Gabe? uh not really but i might be after this trip <laughs> all right we'll uh we'll uh maybe see if we can do some wellness checks on you while you're out but uh good luck with that but yeah as gabe said um we're going to take this opportunity to talk about some of these stats some of these advanced metrics that we frequently reference uh, in in our show. So if you've been listening, you'll hear us talk about WRC plus and WOBA and um, war and and these sort of uh, what you might call advanced metrics or saber metrics, of course, uh, being the terminology. Was that kind of started with Bill James? If not, he was one yeah, of the pioneers, right? I think he's the modern godfather of it. Uh, Bill James became really famous within baseball. He was like the night watchman in like a Kansas City warehouse district or something like that. And he just geeked out and nerded it out on a bunch of stats and created a whole bunch of stuff. And and taken together, they kind of tell a, uh, tell a way of looking at baseball that no one had ever looked at it before. Yeah, and uh, he started in this in the late seventies and eighties, and in the nineties, it really kind of gained mainstream, and then that sort of led to the war that was Moneyball. Okay, now the the sort of numbers geeks have won, and the old school scouts have lost the battle. Um, other than maybe uh, who gets to make out the Astros lineup, I think that might be the <laughs> final final bastion of old schoolness. In Major League Baseball. But yeah, Bill James actually was hired on by the Boston Red Sox during the Theo Epstein era um, to do special projects and just kind of like figure out stuff for them. You know, some people like it and some people don't. I happen to like it. I think it, I, I like anything that sheds more light on the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I love the game part of the game, but uh, also sort of understanding why things work and why things don't. And the funny thing is, you know, managers, you used to always talk about, oh, they manage by the book, okay? And what managing by the book was supposed to convey was that they did things the right way, the way that made sense, the way that, that was kind of mathematically correct. But no one actually did the math on all this stuff to find out whether or not it actually was mathematically correct or not. Yeah, it was more dogma. Until Bill James stepped in and done that. That's right. Um, but, but, you know, the idea always was to sort of maximize your chances at, at doing well and minimize your chances of doing poorly. And it should be real clear that this saber metrics math is applies to, to major league baseball. Okay. Um, some of the people that listen to us, listen to us because they hang out on a UT website. Um, my best friend is the head coach at Georgia state D one baseball coach. The book is completely different in college. It's completely different in the minor leagues. It's completely different in high school or little league or that's right. pony league or whatever you want to talk about, right? This 
when we're talking about stuff, we're talking about numbers that have been crunched over millions and tens of millions, probably of at bats in major baseball. So uh, there's a huge sample size and it's a very robust database and someone's run all the numbers and figured out that, that bunting is absolutely horrible and you should almost never bunt. Okay. But that doesn't mean that bunting is a horrible idea when your college coach or your high school coach calls for a squeeze play. That doesn't mean you should yell at him from the, from the stands or turn to the guy and go, what's this idiot doing? Everyone knows you shouldn't bunt. Well, High school players don't don't feel bunts as well. They might throw the ball down the first base line or, That's right. or something like that, you know. So this is not strategy that you should necessarily take to your as a little league coach. <laughs> but this is the uh, this is the numbers of major league baseball as uh, crunched over you know 150 years of a database, and and that's what we're going to be talking about. That's right, and we'll paint a picture as to as to uh, to underscore that point and show how, well, we won't show it because this is an audio uh, medium, but we will describe how that underlying data set leads us to these numbers and, and to, to these, these strategies that are associated with kind of saber metrics and this new era of uh, advanced baseball stats and that sort of thing. So, um, so we're going to focus on offensive stats today. Uh, we we could do hours and hours of this. I don't think anybody wants to listen to that. But what we're really going to focus on is again those those stats that we frequently reference on this show. And you know, w- one thing that's interesting, Gabe, and you touched on this a little bit, but over the last you know ten, fifteen, twenty years now, as these um, advanced metrics have become more and more mainstream, uh, and they're talked about more you get sometimes some hostility from people toward uh, advanced metrics or, you know, you'll hear the, the trope baseball is not played in a computer and that sort of thing, uh, which I think really misses the point. Um, I understand that, you know, when you tell somebody the way that you understand baseball isn't exactly in step with the, the modern game, you know, People can get defensive. People defensive people tend to brush off, you know, whatever it is you're telling them. There's some hostility. We don't want any hostility. All right, we're going to make the case for for why these stats are useful um, and put them in the right context. And there's it always matters what the right context is. Um, sometimes when you'll hear these curmudgeonly old ball players on uh, broadcasts who, you know, are very dismissive of certain advanced metrics they'll say things that kind of make you cringe a little bit because in trying to dismiss them, they'll take them completely out of context and, and make statements that, that nobody would, would say make a lot of sense. So, uh, so we're not, we're not here to take sides or uh, convince everybody that, you know, the way that you've consumed baseball your whole life is wrong or anything like that. We're just wanting to make sense out of really the things that we talk about, but also um, a kind of a different way to uh, interpret the game. And the, the funny thing about that is baseball's always been stats driven, man. Once upon yeah. a time, batting average was an advanced metric, right? And now we know that it's kind of a crappy way to look at the game. Batting average only. It's a lot more important, like how often you got to get on base, not necessarily how you get on base. Um, you know, it's, it's avoiding outs. It's how, how often do you get on? And when you get on, how far do you get? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I bat, batting average once upon a time was an advanced stat that probably people in the 1890s were like, I don't know why they got to do batting average. You know, I could look and see how some guy, you know, some guy hits the ball. And, and you know, when you talk about stuff like launch angle, hey, man, go read The Art the Science of Hitting by Ted Williams <laughs> in nineteen in the 1960s. Ted Williams knew all about launch angle. I mean, there's there's nothing – there's nothing new under the sun. We just have new ways of, you know, actually doing the math. And and the thing I always like to talk about is blackjack um, because I feel like a lot of people probably have played blackjack at some point in time in their life. And, and, you know, you can hit on 16 against a six and you can pull a five for a 21 and you could get up and jump around the table and call yourself a genius because it worked out. And, and that certainly happens all the time. I, I'll play some blackjack on the cruise and I'll probably 
play a thousand hands between me and the other people at my table. And I, I promise you, I will see some 16s turn into 21s. But when the dealer shows a six, you always supposed to stay, right? And that's why they wrote a book with all the probabilities. And that's what we're talking about in baseball. You know, it's not that like, hey, if you make the quote unquote right decision, according to the math, it's going to be right. Or it's not that the wrong decision doesn't sometimes work out. Um, it's just a matter of like, hey, you only have one outcome. And if you had 100 outcomes and you did it this way 100 times, this would be the best strategy. So you might as well do it that way with that one outcome. But when that outcome is, is you know, the difference between a 38% of that and a 36% of that, who can tell in that one outcome, right? Yeah. Because it's either going to be a zero or a one. It's not going to be a 0.36 or a 0.38. But if you make that same bad mistake 100 times, then that's going to cost you two runs. And we know that two runs is half a win. Well, I guess it's it's 20% of a win. I guess 10, 10 runs would be considered a win usually, right? But, you know, over the course of a, of a season, I don't know, would this team have 7,000 at-bats? Okay, so a, a 3% difference in how you do things over 7,000 is, is 21 runs. That's that's two wins that you could cost yourself on just the simple difference of a 3% three percent outcome. So that's why it's important. Two wins, I mean, teams beg, borrow, steal, and uh, that's right. a, a guy went to jail um, from the Cardinals trying to steal two wins from Jeff Luno um, from, that's right. from the St. Louis Cardinals. The, the Astros became a pariah trying to steal a couple wins. So when you flush that advantage down the down the drain by sort of making the mathematically incorrect decision, it's it's you know it's it's something that that you should be aware that you're doing right. You mean like when you hit Mauricio Dubon second in the order, right? Um, yeah, you have these little incremental. We are, team, we, are <laughs> we are recording this on Friday. The Astros are up five to nothing. And the Oakland A's are at best a double A team. They're horrible. Oh my God, they're bad. But no, that's all right. And 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 here's the thing. You you mentioned batting average. I'm not here to trash batting average, right? All all data means something. Like I, I, I'm a numbers guy. I love all of the stats. I, I'll always love the stats on the back of the baseball card, right? Because that's how I grew up on baseball too. Um, and and it's not that batting average is a worthless stat. It's just that it doesn't tell you as much about a player's value as other statistics do. And it used to kind of be this be all end all number that uh, determined the value of a player. Now we've just kind of progressed to the point where we know that it doesn't do a great job of describing how valuable a player is. And that's all we're really talking about is, uh, you know, the entire, the entire point of any of this is to, is to accurately account for an individual player's value, right. To separate it from, value that is added by his teammates, right? We want to isolate it and be able to to demonstrate the value that a single player is actually accounting for. So uh, in this conversation, you'll probably hear us talking about counting stats and rate stats. You know, counting is just compiling numbers. This is home runs, RBIs, doubles, hits, right? Those are uh, your counting stats. Rate stats are obviously percentages. So these are uh, representing, uh, you know, performance as a as a measure relative to opportunity so this is your batting average is a rate stat your on-base percentage your rate stat etc um so again there's room for all of these numbers uh you'll probably never hear me mention a player's RB, rbi totals for example in our podcasts because i don't think that they are particularly interesting when trying to understand how well a guy is playing uh that said, let me I jump love in a- for it. Let, let me jump. Let me yeah, jump in. Go ahead. Let me jump in and disagree a little bit. Okay. With that. Someone's RBI st- statistic is not indicative of what they're going to do going forward. Correct. Okay? And we talk about that a lot about going forward. But you look at a guy like Jordan Alvarez that has, I'm looking up right now, that's got 46 RBI right now, and he's played 43 games. That's really indicative of what he's done and the situations he's come through on. So those counting stats, those compiling stats, they sort of tell you what's happened yes, without telling you what's likely to happen in the future. Um, and I think that – and I know you know that, but I just kind of wanted to, to make that point because I think it is an important point. 
if I'm looking at at the end of the year, someone hit you know 50 home runs and had 130 RBI versus 110. You know, some of that 130 is context driven, obviously, right? And that doesn't mean that I think necessarily someone was a better player than another person because they had 130 versus 110 because there is context. But you know, you could say that they were valuable because they can't. You know, the object of the game was to score runs. So 130 runs that you were you know, in charge of making happen, it, it matters. Right. So, well, so, and, and that gets us to the kind of the, the crux of the, uh, the discussion, which is they're responsible for those runs to a degree, but some of the, their teammates are, are responsible for portions sure. of those runs also. Right. And, 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 and that's the, kind and that's of the, the context, context, right? Yeah, yep. exactly. And again, I'm not saying that RBI don't mean anything. I'm not saying run score don't mean anything. They do. They, like you said, Gabe, they tell you the story of what happened, right? They are not meant to be predictive. I think often they've been interpreted to be predictive and that's all that's that, right. that your advanced stats are are, are trying to dispel. Uh, not to say that they're meaningless, just that they're not indicative of as much as maybe we used to think they were. Look, I love 100 RBI seasons. I love it. I still want to see Jordan knock in 100 runs, right? I want to see Altuve score 100 runs. I was giddy that Altuve ended last season with a an even 300 batting average. Yep. I, I loved it. I loved it because I'll never not see that as a meaningful threshold, even if I know that it probably doesn't tell you as much as, as other metrics Um that are out. There. It's still so, cool to say. It's still cool to say that guy was a 300 hitter, right? That's right. It is. It is. And it, it, it still means again, something. 150 years of baseball history, and you say 300 hitter, and that resonates with someone in 1890, absolutely. And 1990, and I bet you it still resonates in 2090. Absolutely. Right. And, it's and it's I'm just not, more important. It's just more important to be a 380 on base guy. It is. And, and we'll talk about know. why. Agreed. I I still love those stats. I love all the stats. I'm here for all of it. So I want to start, Gabe, by kind of describing this in terms of context. Um, And are are you familiar with the term base out states? Yes. There are 24 base out states. What this means is the number of runners on base and the number of outs in a given inning, right? So one base out state would be Nobody on and nobody out, right? Your leadoff situation. Uh, and then you have nobody on and one out, nobody on and two outs, one on and no outs, et cetera, and so forth. So there are 24 of these if you if you wrote them all out, okay? So then we have something called run expectancy, right? What run expectancy is, is that there's some probability of scoring runs associated with each of these base out states, right? So as an example... We talked about a leadoff situation with nobody on and nobody out, okay? The expected run scored in that inning, okay, are you with me? With nobody on and nobody out is about My guess is 4,500 to run is my guess. What's what's the actual number? It's actually 5,500 of a run. I am pulling that from a, a book I highly recommend if you're interested in any of this stuff. It's called The Book. Uh, playing the percentages in baseball by Tom Tango. It's kind of a classic in this uh, genre. And so I say that to say this data was based on a a high run scoring environment. I want to say 1999 through 2002 or something like that. The steroid era. That's right. That's right. So So, I think it's fair to just say it's about half a run. And that makes about, that makes sense, right? Teams score about four and a half runs on average per game. I don't know what the latest numbers on that Uh, would be, but with nobody on, nobody out, the run expectancy is for that team to score half a run. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And here's another point to make on that. That doesn't mean you're going to score a run in half the innings that you come up with that. That means your total run scored will be half a run. So a lot of times you'll go zero, 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 three, and you get to that six tenths of a run scored you know, because you scored nothing, 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 and then three, and then you divide that by six, and you go, oh, there's my half a run. That's right. So that's the context. That's that's You've got these 24 different base out states, right? And each one has a run expectancy. So that gets us to run values. 
And what this means is this is the run value of whatever the result of your plate appearance is above and beyond what the expected run scored uh, would have been before the event. I know that's a lot of words. Does that make sense, Gabe? Yeah. So let me see if I can explain this in a little bit better English. If <laughs> Jordan Alvarez comes up with he's batting third, this is why we don't necessarily like him batting third. The most common time your number three hitter comes up in the first inning is no one on and two outs, right? So your average run expectancy is two tenths of a run. But that doesn't, that's in an inning. That doesn't mean that you're going to get two tenths of a run after that at bat. Okay, because he might get a walk, he might get a single, and someone else might drive him in. So when he's up there in that actual state, it might be five and a hundred that he scores a run. So if he hits a home run at that point in time, then he's over overperformed his run expectancy by ninety five hundredths of a run. That's right. Exactly. That's that's the right. Those aren't the right numbers, but that's the right concept. Yes. Right. That's just <laughs> just picking round numbers. But this gets. It, but it, but to your earlier point of you know years and years and years and decades of baseball data that 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 is what underlies all of this logic. Okay. Uh, so essentially, what they've done is looked at all the data around year after year after year of home runs and doubles that are hit in all of these different base out states, right? So basically what we're doing is taking all of this data, all of these things that have happened, which if, if you're familiar with any kind of forecasting and modeling and things like that, predictive analytics, uh, that's generally what you're basing uh, future projections on, right? Is a, the more data you have, the better your model generally tends to be. So so basically what this tries to do is approximate the value of each of these events based on the average base out state. And what we get is a specific weighted value, right, of each of these events, right? So we have... And, and you know, this is, we've been talking about positive. You can go negative here. Guy that's up with yes. first, second, and third bases loaded and no one out that hits into a triple play you know, that outcome is negative 1.5. Again, I'm just making this up. But, I mean, you know, he, he just – he ended the inning, right, with one swing of the bat. You expected to get one and a half runs out of that inning. You know, that guy got a negative 1.5 um, run expectancy for, for that hitting into that triple play. That's right, because in any given base out state, there is still some expected run value before the batter does whatever he does, right? So even if it's nobody on and two outs, which you referenced earlier with the number three hitter, uh, according to that data from, from the steroid era, the run expectancy with nobody on and two outs is 0.117 run, okay? So there's still some probability of scoring a run. Therefore, if you make an out, then you're going to have a negative run value. And I'm going to read to you a few run values for different outcomes of plate appearances okay and this will help illustrate the point a home run has a run value at least as of uh according to the data that was used in my reference guide which is the book uh a home run has a run value of 1.4 okay often there are people on base when a home run is hit right so that is baked in and all of these other kinds of scenarios are baked into these weighted values um, and let me pause you. Let me pause you right there. This is why lineups are constructed a certain way, and this is why that kind of thing is important, right? Yes. Because you want to have your guy that hits home runs up when people that get on base in front of them, so that it's worth more than one run, so that it's worth two runs or three runs or even four runs. Okay. So that's why you say, you know, because of this run expectancy then this means that, you know, we should have a guy that gets on base really well up in front of Jordan Alvarez because he's the most likely guy on our team to hit a home run. So that's why you say, hey, Alex Bregman is better off even though he hits 260 hitting in front of Jordan Alvarez because he's on base 36 times out of 100 when Alvarez steps up than Mauricio Dubon, who's hitting 300. He's a 300 hitter, right? Well, he's got a 320 on base percentage. So that means if you put Bregman up in front of Alvarez, even with his lousy, lousy batting average this year, 
he's still more likely to be on in front of Mauricio Dubon. So that's why you say, hey, Bregman hits in front of Alvarez. That's the way that makes the most sense. So these stories or, or these stats tell a story and inform strategy. That's correct. And there is math in 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 this book that I keep referencing that covers maximizing value in lineup construction, uh, which which Gabe and I often um, comment about with the uh, with the Astros. Uh, I'm going to give you a few more of these just to give you more context. So we said a home run has a run value of 1.4. Okay, a double is at 0.776 run value. Okay, a single 0.475, a walk is 0.323 okay yeah hold on a second so that means the little league mom that keeps yelling a walks as good as a hit you can turn around and uh f-bomb her is that is that what you're telling me well again gabe we said that um (laughs) this only applies to major league baseball but yes um a hit for obvious reasons right is is slightly has has a slightly higher run value than slightly 50 percent higher Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair. Enough. That's that's pretty important. So then, yeah. The question becomes: Why do we talk about how important it is for people to walk? Well, I'm going to tell you that right now. Do you know what the run value is of making an out at the plate? Zero. No, negative point no, 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 three. No, 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 no. This is this gets to your that's negative right, that right, you referenced right. the other day. So a negative. It's actually negative point two nine nine. Okay. A strikeout is negative 0.301. And this is really the driving factor with why we've seen strikeouts skyrocket in the last 20 years. Because when this math was done and people said, hey, striking out doesn't really affect you in any worse way than flying out or grounding out, then you know, hitters started just letting it fly and you started seeing guys strike out 200 times a year. Whereas in, in previous eras, you know, you had guys like Joe DiMaggio striking out, you know, maybe 25 or 30 times in an entire season. So um, not, nobody does that anymore. Nobody. So, so that kind of drives that. And then I thought this was interesting. We talked about a stolen base having a run value of 0.175. Okay. A caught stealing has a run value of negative 0.47. And this kind of explains why we've seen the stolen base attempt drop tremendously, again, over the last 15 or 20 years or so. If you remember back in the 80s with Ricky Henderson stealing 120 bases a year, right? And Vince Coleman and Tim Raines and all those guys uh, ran like crazy. Nobody does that anymore. Because what this tells you is that the caught stealing risk far outweighs the reward of actually being successful in stealing the base. I've got a really important point to make here, though, I think. And maybe it'll be basic to some people and maybe other people will be like, oh, I had never thought about that. This is why it's so important to actually know what the numbers are. In a low run environment, the negative for being caught stealing is much, much lower and the positive for successfully stealing a base is much, much higher. So the higher your run environment, the less of a good idea it is to steal. The lower your run environment. So those guys in the 80s, they weren't necessarily doing it wrong then because they were in a much lower run environment. If Ricky Henderson can draw a leadoff walk and then steal second and steal third and come home on a ground ball, then you know he's just got you a run. And in a game that might end two to one or three to two, that's much, much more valuable than trying to steal a run in a game that is 10 to eight. And the worst thing you can do in a 10 to eight game is give away an out, uh, you know, give, give an out away that that you don't sort of make the other team earn. So um, that's why your break even point is three out of four in steals in the modern environment. But, but back in the day, it might have been you only needed to successfully steal two out of three times. I don't think it was ever as low as one out of two, but two out of three might have made sense in the eighties. I, I I don't know. I haven't run the math on that, but no, but, that's um, that's a great a different point. scenario. It's a great point. And again, the numbers that I read off are not set in stone, right? They are based on a sampling of data from a high run scoring environment. To your point, so they do move some. I don't think they've moved dramatically. Uh, to today's run run scoring environment, but all of this is not to to 
latch on to these precise numbers, right? It's more about just giving kind of painting the picture of and setting the stage for why these stats might tell us more than some of your traditional stats, okay? It's important to know what actual environment you're dealing with. And this is a lot of times why guys can be a relic of a past time and not a good manager anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you had the book for how things were in the eighties, you might manage for a perfect strategy in the eighties or nine. And then all of a sudden 1997 or 1987 happens, right? When people start hitting home runs like crazy, livelier ball. And that same strategy that made sense in 1984 with AstroTurf and 420 feet to center field and 385 to the power alleys and stuff like that. Like all of a sudden that doesn't make sense. Maybe in 1987 when, you know, that, that year is famous among baseball people for just being like, Whoa, what the heck happened there? Um, you know, all of a sudden we're, we're going from half a home run to a home run and a half. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but, but it's just this huge spike that you see. It's, if you see a graph, it's flat, it's flat, it's flat, and then there's this like big spike, and then it goes down in '88 or '89, and, and no one knows why. Probably they were monkeying with the ball. In retrospect, is, is what we probably think. Major League Baseball has a tendency to do that, yes. But but that's the importance of keeping current. Okay, is right. you got to know what what you're dealing with at that time because strategies change and evolve to fit the environment that you're in. Right. Yep. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, good point. Um, let's uh, let's take a look at a classic. Okay, let's take a look at batting average. Right. We we mentioned it. Let's start here. Uh, this is an easy calculation. It's very intuitive. Right. How many times do you get a hit divided by how many times did you come up to bat? Right. Uh, no. Except that it's using the at bat stat, which removes as most of you probably know removes walks from the equation completely they don't even register they're not even considered okay uh hit by pitches not considered sacrifices not considered in batting average okay so what about catchers interference also not included in batting average you know what else is not included in batting average or what else batting average does not describe is total bases okay so if you're going by that batting average, this equates singles with doubles, with triples, with home runs. They all count exactly the same. There's no differentiating between what the hit was. It's just whether it was a hit. Okay. Um, so hold on a second. Are you going to tell me that not only is a walk not as good as a hit, but a hit is not as good as a triple? I am going to tell you that a mind blown, is, Andrew, is not quite as good as a triple. Okay. But. Um, we, we took a step forward when we started talking about on base percentage. Okay. Now this is different in that you are now pulling in walks, you're pulling in hit by pitches, you know, you're pulling in these, uh, these events in addition to hits. And so the denominator changes, right? It has to, we're now including all of those plate appearances, right? And a plate appearance, a plate appearance means all your at bats where you have a, you make an out or get a hit plus your walks, plus your hit by pitches, plus your, uh, hit into errors and those kinds of things. So um, so on-base percentage uses a different denominator, right? And uh, and you get to add in your walks. And we talked a little bit about uh, why that became kind of more important or looked at as a stronger indicator of r scoring runs than batting average because uh, we looked at those run values, right? And we saw a negative three run value for making an out. Well, if you if you, if you make a if you walk in a plate appearance, right, you're avoiding making an out, and I think that's what kind of shifted was the philosophy went from getting hits and the focus on hits uh, to avoiding making outs because that's really the most valuable thing anybody in the lineup can do is not make an out. Can I can I bring another dig digression in? Yes. Once upon a time, it was not considered a hitter skill to draw a walk. It Oof. was considered like the pitcher screwed up. Okay. And I'm talking about like in the, in the early 1900s and, and there's probably reason for that. Those guys sort of controlled the ball a lot more. They, their stuff wasn't as good. I mean, we we're, we're watching Hunter Brown today. Like I said, we're recording on Friday. The guy threw a 95 mile an hour slider. That's just absurd. Right. So once upon a time, the pitcher's job was to throw the ball over the plate. I mean, it started out pitchers lobbed the ball over the plate. 
sort of look like dad pitch, slow pitch to eight-year-olds. Um, you know, those guys were not going max velocity, max effort. So the But the one thing they were trying to do was throw the ball over the plate at all times. Yep. Um, so it was, you know, a walk wasn't considered um, sort of a batter skill. It was considered how much a pitcher messed up. It, it wasn't considered something within sort of your abilities. So I think that's a big reason why – you know, in the early in the early times, that batting average was considered so much more important than on base percentage because you know it sort of measured what was your skill, and taking a walk is is not considered a skillful activity once upon a time. It wasn't, and not only was it not considered a skill, it was frowned upon. So let me tell you about Ted Williams, who's probably my all time favorite baseball player. Okay, back in the forties, uh, and you you mentioned Ted Williams earlier. He wrote a book about this, but. Ted Williams would not swing at pitches that he could not drive. So he was known for his plate discipline, right? Go look up his numbers. He walked a lot. He also hit for an extraordinarily high average hit. Lot. He, I mean, he was, in my opinion, the, you know, the best hitting ball player of all time. Okay. But he would get skewered in the media for taking walks. They'd say he's too passive. They say it doesn't help the team. It's a selfish. It was looked at as a selfish act for for him to not chase pitches out of the strike zone the man was 60 years ahead of his time in that regard uh now we skewer guys rightfully so for chasing pitches out of the strike zone okay um so yes to your point it it wasn't considered a skill in fact it was it was considered a negative in some ways um and that's uh kind of an illustration of you know it makes more sense out of why Batting average was so revered. Uh, nobody was really thinking about on-base percentage, okay? Um, my, my my favorite character, maybe in all of all of the world, I was never more proud than when my niece told me, Uncle Gabe, you kind of remind me of Hank Hill. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going for in life. <laughs> that Someone would say I remind them of Hank Hill, but in the pilot for King of the Hill, I was just watching it the other day. Hank's watching Bobby play baseball, and he's like, come on, Bobby, swing the bat. We're not playing any of this lawyer ball. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it's a real thing. It's a real, uh, real kind of adage. Uh, but one of the reasons I love Ted Williams as much as I do is that he did not care. He was not swayed by the – matter of fact, uh, I'm – pretty certain that he dug his heels in more on uh, making sure he would not give in to uh, either the criticisms of the sports writers and that sort of thing. He was that kind of guy and I loved him for it. So that's on base percentage, right? So, so uh, kind of a step forward from batting average and you have slugging percentage, which kind of accounts for this other element that batting average leaves out, which is uh, the, the calculation for slugging percentage, again, pretty straightforward. It's total bases divided by at bat. So now you've got, the same denominator as batting average, right? We're back to this at bats, this kind of weird, I think, at bats construct. Um, but you are accounting for total basis. So now you're finally differentiating between the type of hit that you come away with, right? Um, and so you've got on base percentage, you got slugging percentage. People have kind of realized, hey, you know what? These kind of account for elements that batting average doesn't account for. Why don't we add them up and come up with a new stat called on base plus slugging, right? And I would call OPS kind of this foray into uh, early advanced metrics. And it's a crude number because as we've discussed, you're summing two numbers that have different denominators. Like you can't really do that in real life, but you can with OPS. And you know what? It's fairly useful. Um, it, it does tell you something. Uh, it is crude, but it's not it's not useless. Um, it's a little weird to add them together, but it does, again, account for walks. It differentiates between the type of hit, uh, et cetera. So OPS was born. I always say think of OPS as how often you get on base and how far you get when you get there. Yeah, well said. Very succinct. That's right. That That's what it is. And it, it again, it accounts for these things that batting average doesn't. So, um, Andrew... Yes. Gabe. If I have, if I've got a Colorado, so now that I know that OPS is the greatest stat ever, totally and completely perfect with no problems associated <laughs> with it. Um, should I compare Jeff Bagwell's OPS at the Astrodome with um, Todd Helton's OPS at Coors Field? No, Gabe, you should not. Uh, because Why not? 
again, we're going to go back to the the C word here, context. Context matters, right? And different parks have different run scoring environments. And so the calculus changes for all of these things, right? And that's a great segue into a statistic that Gabe and I both, mostly me, talk about frequently on this show, which is weighted on base average. WOBA, you might hear us say. Uh, you'll often hear me talk about a player's expected weighted on base average versus his actual weighted on base average, right? So let me first just tell you what weighted on base average is, okay? Uh, it's very similar to OPS in that its objective is to um, create a single quantifiable, you know, a single number that describes what Gabe just said. Say it again, Gabe. How often do you get on base and how far do you get when you get there? That's right. It's it's a fancy stat that basically just tells you that, okay? And it's based on all of these run values that, that we talked about earlier. Um, it, those are the weights when we talk about a weighted on-base average, right? You end up with a number uh, that accounts for what Gabe succinctly described as how often you get on base and how far you get when you get on, okay? And... This you'll also hear us talk about weighted runs created plus or WRC plus. Uh, we'll talk about plus stats in a moment because uh, that's important too. But suffice to say that weighted on base average and these other stats that are meant to kind of account for all of these run values, these underlying run values um, into one metric. Uh, more or less correlate very strongly together and tell you mostly the same thing. They're not going to be the same numbers because they're presented differently, but again, they all correlate very strongly together. So when we talk about weighted on base average and some of these others, um, uh, especially the plus stats, which we'll talk about, let's just talk about that right now. The, the, the plus stats, right? Okay. So we talked about OPS a moment ago and we often will refer to OPS plus on this podcast. Um, that's published in that's baseball almost, reference, right? That's uh, that's exclusively what I use. And OPS okay. plus and WRC plus are almost exactly the same. It's it just when you look at a guy with a 120 OPS plus, he's usually got a 121 on WRC plus or a 119 on WRC plus. It's, they're very, very similar. That's right. And what that is, is that's a measure of how you relate to league average. Quick question. We talked about Coors Field versus the Astrodome. Does that take into effect OPS plus? Does that take into effect park effects? I believe that those metrics do adjust for parks. Yes. So if you if you slug 500 at Coors Field, that's much less impressive than slugging 500 at Minute Maid Park, which in turn is less impressive than um, slugging 500 at the Astrodome would have been. I mean, it really helps explain. I think last week we talked about Jeff Bagwell having a 213 weighted runs created plus in 1994. And yes, that was boosted because of the production in the Astrodome. But it gets back to um, what we talked about earlier in terms of generating these run values. And I think that's where the park effects are accounted for. So this is a there's a lot of math that goes into there's these There's a stats. lot of math. And, a and lot. I, and we're not going to try to explain any of no. this math to you. We're just going to try to sort of explain how to use that stat when you see it. And, and whenever you see it... Plus that, this is what you got to know. 100 means that guy's league average. 150 means he's 50% better than league average. If you happen to be... So on our team, OPS plus of 100 is Mauricio Dubon. Absolutely average. So he's got the highest batting average on our team. Doesn't have block and he doesn't hit the ball hard, so he doesn't, he doesn't slug at a high rate. But because he has a high average, that makes him exactly league average on our team. So Mauricio Dubon is your example of 100. Joran Alvarez is your best hitter on the team with 174 OPS+. plus. So he's roughly 75% better than the league. And then going to the other end, David Hensley, man, I, I guess I can pick on him a little bit because he got sent down the AAA. 
He's got an OPS plus of 14%. I had high hopes for him, but he was 86% below league average. Means you got to go back to uh, Sugarland and and figure something out, buddy. No, that's right. Those stats that have the plus, the metrics with the plus after them, right? Uh, To Gabe's point, they're indexes, which means 100 is set to average. Okay. Uh, So to Gabe's point, a 175, a 75% above average, a 14 is 86% below average, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but OPS plus, so we talked about OPS and OPS plus just means what a given player's OPS is relative to league average. So again, I like things that are, and I really like things. I, I'm simple. I really like I things too that are simple, quick and easy yeah. to accurately tell a story. Agreed. That, that I, accurately tell a story. Um, but that means I don't have to like wonder like, oh, is that a good OPS or a bad OPS? I look at that and I say, hey, that's, you know, 7% above league average. That's right. And I'm so, looking at you, Jake Myers, with your 107 <laughs> OPS plus. Hey, I'll take it. Um, yeah. And, and that gets us to, uh, you know, we mentioned a moment ago, but these expected stats, right? So you'll hear mostly me talk about these expected weighted on base average numbers. And so these expected stats are newer and they're based on the Statcast data and Statcast, you know, there's radars and cameras and everything under the sun all over major league baseball fields and has been for years. And they're measuring everything. Can, okay. Can, can I tell you a funny story? Yes. I was at the game on Saturday trying to explain expected stats and how they're derived to my 72-year-old mother, who's really, <laughs> really bad at math, horrible at math. How did that go? Mom's a, <laughs> mom's a smart lady, but she taught English and history, okay? Perfect. She does not use that other side of that. She does not use that other side of her brain. I think I, I tried to like explain it as simply as I could, and then I had tried to take it down another level from there. And then one more level from there. And I think after five minutes, her eyes were totally completely glazed over. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a shot and you tell me if I did any better than you did. Okay. So essentially what we've got is we've got machinery. Okay. Measuring literally the velocity at which a ball comes off of a hitter's bat. Okay. And we've got years and years of this data now. Um, so we know how hard we'll call it exit velocity. Cause that's what everyone calls it. Uh, that's how hard a ball is. Uh, I guess how fast a ball is coming off of, uh, a player's bat. Okay. What we also measure is the angle at which the ball is, um, projected from the bat after contact. Okay. So it's called launch angle. So we know the trajectory of the ball in space and we know the velocity of the ball coming off the bat. Okay. So with, Lots and lots and lots and lots of examples of this. Okay. We can, we can, we can track, imagine creating a big spreadsheet where you've got, you know, a row with one column says launch angle, 45 degrees, uh, exit velocity, 75 miles per hour. And then, you know, the result of that batted ball. Okay. Probably a and that, ball. That, that ball's an out 98 times out of a hundred unless right. you're playing Oakland. Because that's a high trajectory, uh, right? A uh, 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 high grade trajectory and not hit particularly hard. It's yeah. going to be up in the air for a long time. The outfielder is going to be able to run and, and camp under it. That's that's the old oh can of corn, right? Correct. Um, and so what we can do over time with enough data is you can again get back to the probabilities, and that's what these expected stats are really based on: is the probabilities of a player's batted ball profile, we'll call it, on what you would expect the results to be, okay? So instead of actually considering the real result, the actual result that happened on any given batted ball, uh, what you're actually calculating is the probability of what should have happened, right? So you see this in, in, in broadcast nowadays, right? They'll talk about exit velocity. They'll talk about you know, this ball would have been a home run in 15 out of the out of the 30 stadiums in Major League Baseball, but it was caught in this particular park. So basically what you're trying to do again is isolate the quality of contact that a player is putting on a ball because, you know, at the end of the day, all he can really do is hit the ball really hard. OK, uh, that's the objective. And so generally speaking, the harder hit a ball is, the more likely it is to be a hit. 
And then when you add the the trajectory or the launch angle, uh, that describes a little bit more uh, in addition to the exit velocity, uh, what the fate of that ball should be. So we use this stat a lot. We use this stat a lot to differentiate between the actual and expected results because that can be an indicator of luck, particularly in small samples. So what you see is over time, uh, within a given season, uh, the expected weighted on base average and the actual weighted on base average should get closer and closer together uh, as you create a, a larger and larger sample, right? Because of the the probabilities and the chance that Gabe mentioned earlier with his black, uh, blackjack when he's on the cruise this week, it becomes a game of probabilities. And if you hit on 16 over and over and over again, then you would expect the probabilities to kind of dictate your outcomes. Does that make sense? Did I do a better job than you did explaining it to your mom? I think so, but it's hard to say because I already <laughs> kind of knew that. So it's it's tough. There are some outliers to this stuff. Okay. If you're really fast or really slow, mm-hmm. you might be able to outperform your expected stats, right? Not every ground ball, a ground ball hit by Albert Pujols is a lot less likely to yield a hit than a ground ball hit by um, Willie Tavares. <laughs> Ooh, if you Willie remember Tavares. Willie, yes, he, uh, I think he had like 37 infield hits one year. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, so that kind of thing can matter. Guys can uh, overperform or underperform based upon physical characteristics. Um, teams as a whole can underperform or overperform um, based upon their defense. If you sort of look at the converse side of it, um, if you got a bunch of guys that are, uh, they're not real athletic. You know, a lot of times older teams will um, see the, the other people be like, oh, man, we're just – maybe it's not that you're just unlucky. Maybe it's that you're poor defensively. Maybe right. it's that you set up poorly. Um, but given enough time and enough uh, outcomes, I would have to say it's, it's sort of the measure of how lucky you are at, at that particular time. Yeah. It, it's a good indicator. And so when I say things like, look, y'all, Alex Bregman is going to end the year with a 130 WRC plus, I'm basing that on the fact that, A, his uh, expected weighted on base average currently um, far outpaces his actual weighted on base average. And in fact, his expected weight on base average is exactly in line with his career norms, which tells me he's hitting the ball just as well as he always has. He's walking as much as he always has. He's striking out as infrequently as he always has. Really nothing seems to have changed. Uh, And that's where randomness and chance, which, you know, I think in my experience, people have a tendency to, to not want to hear about randomness and chance, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing in statistics. It's a real thing in, in life. And, you know, we see it every time you watch a game where a guy smokes a ball that's right at the left fielder uh, versus a guy that, you know, hits a little flare over second base and it happens to pop uh, in for a hit. So we all know that's part of the game. That is also considered luck. And to this point, I think it's fair to say Alex Bregman has had bad luck. And again, when we get into samples, as you have more and more plate appearances and more and more events and more and more outcomes for for, for Alex, that luck tends to even out. So that's why we talk about small samples having wide variance. And uh, once you have more and more of a sample, bigger and bigger sample, your variance shrinks. Uh, luck is less of a thing. He is slow as a tree sloth, though, so some of that <laughs> might be a little bit on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kyle Tucker against the Cubs had two balls in the same game that he hit 390 and 394 feet. One of them was a frozen rope that the guy made just an incredible catch, and, and he made two outs. Today he had a pop-up that went about a mile in the air against Oakland, and the one guy – ran five feet in the foul territory as the ball went over his head and landed on the line. And yep. you know, the, he had two balls that absolutely should have been extra base hits. And then he hit one that should have been an out. And so he's still unlucky, right? Because his, his expected stats would have been probably that those three balls, he should have had a, a 630 batting average on. And instead he had a 333 batting average. That's right. Um, 
but it just so happened that it was weird that that he got the hit on a ball that should have been an out almost every time, and both the balls that should have been hits were were out. So um, you can be lucky, you can be unlucky, but given enough outcomes, it starts to get you know that three thirty three was more indicative of the three at bats than him having a zero batting average on those two balls against the Cubs that he hit three ninety and three ninety five. Okay, Gabe. Uh, any other stats you want to look at? You know, there there are advanced metrics for defense. There are advanced metrics for pitching. I, I guess the one big one we haven't mentioned yet is wins above replacement or WAR. I think everyone's fairly familiar with what this is generally, but I would just add that WAR uh, does not just account for hitting for an offensive player, for example. It also does take into consideration uh, base running value. Uh, defensive metrics. I would say those metrics are probably less um, well-established than some of the offensive or hitting metrics. Would you agree with that, Gabe? Yeah, and that is my problem with war is there's a lot of people that do the defensive metrics and say, hey, this is only valid over like a three-season sample size, but war is a one-season sample size, and they're, they're counting the defensive numbers in that the defensive people themselves are telling you you shouldn't believe in a one-year sample size. Yeah. So um, that's, you know, and then you'll see people calculate it down to the hundreds of a point, and it makes it seem like it's very, very precise. <laughs> it's not that precise, but it is a pretty good um, indicator of who's pretty good and and maybe who wasn't. And again, we'll just, we won't get into how they calculate the war, but I'll just kind of give you, if you had a team full of zero war players, that team would win 40 games a year. Um, if you have a team full of two war players, I actually, I think you, you essentially, if your entire roster is, everyone is two war player, right? You got 26 players on your roster. That's 52 wins above replacement with the 42 win team uh, of replacement players. And that means your team should win 94 games. Right. Um, if you, you know, so, so your total team war, you know, add 42 to it. And that should be about where you end the year um, from an individual perspective, a zero, a negative war is just awful. It's just terrible. A zero war player means that they should be making league minimum because you could essentially go pick anyone that was eligible for waivers or was in another team's triple a that they say, Hey, what would it take? For you to uh, trade me, um, not to pick on the guy too much, but Ry- Rylan Brannon, okay? Uh, you say, hey, send me a bag of shag balls and some pine tar rosin, and you can have them, right? I mean, if the Astro, if someone wanted to trade them for that, that's that's like what the Astros are looking for, right? That that's that's a replacement level player. He's actually worse than a replacement level player, but that's the kind of guy that's available as a replacement player to. War would be a league average guy, you know, four or five wars an all-star, and you start talking about seven plus war, and you start talking about a guy getting a serious amount of MVP votes. So when you look at your war, that's sort of what you're looking for. You know, that five war season means, oh, that guy was uh that guy played at an all-star level. That eight war season is, oh, that guy could have been the MVP if things went right. Um, that two war is, hey, that guy should be playing every day, and that zero war is woof. Um <laughs> You know, we got to do better here. Well, what about a negative one war, uh, not even a third of the way through the season? Well, for a, it's okay if you're, it's okay if you're playing at first base and paying him nineteen million. Then, oh then it's all okay. What's what's a little bit of a negative war amongst friends in that situation, <laughs> right? Well, and and a lot of people are resistant to the war stat because the, the common things you hear is that it's it's a hypothetical stat. Eh. I'd push back on that. It's not really hypothetical. The replacement level player that Gabe was describing is based on, again, lots and lots of data from the past. Um, yes, the idea of a replacement player is is somewhat hypothetical, but it's based on it's based on something. Okay, and I mean, and 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 don't get caught up and think. To Gabe's point, don't get caught up in thinking that it's a very precise statistic. It's not. Fangraphs has their version. Baseball reference has their version. Those are the most common that you'll hear referenced. And teams create their own versions, right? Teams have uh, armies of data scientists who are doing this on their own. They have their own kind of proprietary 
war calculations and those kinds of things. But suffice to say that everybody is looking at players in terms of value uh, and value in these calculations are based uh, on runs that equate to wins. And Gabe, you said it earlier, what is it about 10 runs equates to a 10 runs for one win. We talked about these run values and we talked about how they're accumulated and that's what ties it all together is eventually uh, the value of calculating these run values through these metrics gets you to a calculation of wins, uh, which is what teams are looking at. So the math bears out that, you know, these calculations are, are, are pretty solid, right? They're not precise to the level of nobody should be presenting them with three decimal points because that is, to Gabe's point, a... Um, uh, a ridiculous sort of indication of uh, precision that doesn't that doesn't exist. But um, but they do tell us something. Don't resist them. <laughs> the game the game has adapted, and it's how player contracts are. It's how player contracts should be kind of figured out. Unless you go into a, an off season without a general manager, and that's how you end up paying $19 million for negative value for a first baseman. But that's a topic for another episode. Gabe, I've talked a lot about stats tonight and I'm pretty, uh, pretty tired. Do you have anything you want to add? No. Um, I guess, well, let me do two minutes on pitching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. ERA plus ERA plus same is what I like to look at to tell the story. The Astros ERA plus as a team is 132. That means we've been 32% better than league average. Um, that's what's happened. And Gabe, um, is is ERA, is ERA plus in that scenario just the Astros team ERA uh, compared to the league average ERA? To the average. That's right. That's okay. right. So we've it. been 32 better than the league average. Fit. Our FIP is 371. That would be considered more predictive than ERA. That's fielding, independent pitching. Um, I'm not going to get into the math on that, but I do believe uh, in FIP. Uh, I don't think that's like saying I believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. I I do believe that's more predictive than ERA um, when it gets down to quality of pitcher. And the Astros are at 3.71, and that's probably a number that's 15 or 20% better than the average. Um, yeah. If that was the, their actual number. So maybe you're not buying the Astros 32% better than the league average pitching. Maybe you say, um, you know, we're 15 or 20% better, but also that's fielding independent pitching. If you believe that the Astros defense is good and the Astros are good at turning batted balls in the outs, which I think they are um, the nerds in the nerd cave do a good job with positioning. And we're still fairly athletic at many points positions um you know if you look at all that stuff then those are the two things that i look at um most importantly for sort of a rough estimate of quality of uh pitching those are my two biggest numbers and the other number i would look at would be um case per nine inning that's gonna i'm gonna measure your pure stuff based upon that okay and if you get if you're a starting pitcher and you start knocking on the door of 10 or 11 per nine innings, that's really good. If you're five or six in this era, that's really bad. Again, era specific is really important. 10 or 11 is, is, is good. Nolan Ryan, the greatest strikeout pitcher ever was like 9.7 Ks per nine inning. Okay. And we talked about um, why, right? Because in his era, strikeouts were taboo for offensive players. Right. So your approach was to choke up and, Choke up and take a half swing on it with two strikes. You know, right. just put the ball in play somewhere, anywhere. Don't strike out. That's unmanly. That's embarrassing. Um, so, you know, those are sort of the things I look at when I'm trying to determine what kind of stuff someone has, how good a how good a pitcher they've been this year so far, and how good a pitcher they're likely to be going forward. Those are the three things I, I sort of look at. Um, on pitching stats and That's I believe right. in all those stats and FIP it is really trying to accomplish the same thing that we're trying to accomplish with the offensive stats uh, that we talked about previously, which is to strip away that which the pitcher is not responsible for, or that which is out of a pitcher's control, right? It's trying to just zero in on w- what is 
specifically attributable to just the pitcher. Uh, and that's what all these stats are trying to do. So thanks for adding that, Gabe. Um, do you have Dramamine? <laughs> I don't get a, I don't get seasick uh, on, on a big boat anyway. Okay, good. But, uh, good. Okay. All right. Well, safe travels, my friend. Um, uh, enjoy the, the cramped space with the wife and kids and uh, get back in one piece and we will um, uh, keep talking about the Astros. And this 30-minute podcast that we we're going to knock out, I think, went an hour and 20 minutes. But you know what? It wasn't as boring as I envisioned. <laughs> and you can leave this in, damn it. Leave this in. I'll the leave people it. People need to hear this. <laughs> I don't think it was boring at all, sir. Um, how dare you? But, uh, yeah, no, I think this was good. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have a full-on episode. So it's not episode six and a half. It's episode seven uh, of the Breathing Orange Fire podcast. All right, Gabe. Enjoy your uh, vacation.